Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is with me. Hey, Tom. Hey, Jay. So I've enjoyed the podcast without me, I must say. They're e- a lot easier to do, but better to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, it's scheduling and then as we kind of teed up for our listeners, we're trying to get out a little bit more content with some uh, shorter, we'll call them mini episodes that might cover a real discrete topic. And uh, one of those will be coming uh, shortly. But uh, for today, we're together. So let's dive in and cover some ground here. Uh, at, and what I was thinking for today, Tom, was that, um, as I, I mentioned to you before we hit record, I've been spending a obnoxious amount of time on Zoom the last couple of mm-hmm. weeks. This is the time of year. I mean, February is by far the well, late late January and February are by far the busiest coaching periods for me because lots of new programs kick off with different law firms and like their new shareholder classes. And um, it's it's just a lot of uh, a lot of Zoom time. So uh, it might be five, six, uh, up to seven hours a day on Zoom. And it's not so much that's exhausting, obviously, but it's the um, that amount of coaching allows me to kind of spot patterns and connect dots in a way because it's like uh, realizing there's these common issues that many people are facing who are in those um, similar points in their career. And uh, I thought we'd share some of those today because I imagine if many of my coaching clients are facing these things, uh, many of our listeners probably are as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So these these topics are going to fall into one of three categories. Uh, first, business development. Uh, second, productivity. And third, client experience. And so let's start uh, from a business development standpoint and talk about, I think, a, an issue that many people commonly face. And this would be an issue that is faced by someone who is either just getting started building their practice, um, is is spending time building the practice, but doesn't really have a systematic approach to what they're doing, or maybe, you know, had done more building the practice, you know, brought in a lot of, a lot of work, kind of fell off the wagon a little bit and is trying to get back on board and really get more engaged in business development. And so what I'll call this is overcoming the cold start problem. And so when I talk about business development with clients, you know, one of the things that telling them and urging them to do is to develop a key contact list. So this is a, a situation where you're developing a list of you know, 20, 25, 30 people. Um, these are who are people who you are prioritizing as key contacts, meaning they're you know in a position to have a positive impact on your practice. These might be internal contacts, prospective clients, current clients, referral sources, you name it. I mean, everyone's list looks a little bit different, uh, but it's not its not as big as you think it might be or should be, right? Many of us have hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of people in our broader network, if you count our LinkedIn contacts and those in our Outlook calendars and, and, and contact databases. Um, but we, we can't we we can't get, be in touch with that many people in a meaningful way on a consistent basis. And so um, the reason 20 to 25 is a great number is as that approximates the um, number of business days every month. And, you know, it's a list that you can work through on a monthly basis. If someone tells me they have 75 to 100 key contacts on their list, 
Now, I generally say, well, you don't have any because it's just too many to possibly keep up with. Um, so the cold start problem is, okay, once you've assembled a list, like how do you first engage, right? What is the what is the next step? Um, how do you reach out? You know you need to be in touch with these people, but you might be feeling angst around the idea that whatever outreach you're going to do is going to be seen as transparently uh, sort of a pitch or transactional in nature. Just have that ick factor to it. Um, yet, despite that angst and and uh, trepidation, um, you know you need to be doing it because you you know if, if you work with me, you talk you hear. Uh, the you hear the formula I talk to people about, which is that you know what business development requires is is the following, which is a, a certain baseline amount of trust, right? And that can be your reputation, it could be your past interactions, your track record, and then once you establish that basic baseline of trust, then it's visibility plus consistency plus time, and the more frequently and consistently uh, and and um, uh, visible you are, the more likely it is that you'll be top of mind at the moment that legal demand arises and they'll be thinking of you. Um, so you've got to you got to re-engage, you got to be keeping in touch with your list, you got to overcome the cold start problem. And um, you know, I'll pause there, Tom, and just let you ask any questions or comment um about any of that, maybe clarify something I might have missed. But um, then we'll get into okay, what 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 might we we do to overcome the cold start problem and make that first outreach to someone or that um, renewed outreach to someone that doesn't have that ick factor to it. Yeah, the only thing I I was going to ask you that very question actually, so it'll be a good segue. But the only thing that was interesting is you you mentioned the components of business development. You didn't mention expertise. And I'm guessing because that's table stakes, right? You have to have the expertise, but I'm curious um, where you place expertise because I, I think most people think they get hired for their expertise, which they do, but they get hired because of the other things that you mentioned, which is the trust, the visibility, the consistency. So any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I think that, I think that basic um, perceiving someone as having the expertise is part of trust. I think that's an, that's sort of, um, encompassed within the concept of trust. So yes, you you it, it, you're either um, these are generally people who are on your key contact list. Some of them might be aspirational, meaning you're looking to develop trust and establish a relationship with this person. And that's totally fine. But I think for most people, the majority these are people that you know in some capacity. You've worked with them. You've worked for them. Um, you know, it just might be that you haven't actually ever overtly reached out to try to nurture that relationship along. So they probably are perceiving you as a competent, conscientious attorney, right? The problem is you're just not visible to them. Um, so yeah, that I expertise is important, but but I also would say this: you don't need to be, you know, you don't from your from your um perceived uh or your point of view the world's foremost expert, right? I mean, from the client's perspective, from your contact's perspective, you know, they may see most lawyers as more or less interchangeable with one another, right? You are a lawyer, you maybe have a, a strong brand name associated with in terms of your employer. Um, they, they, you know, they view you as smart enough and capable enough. And that's enough expertise from their standpoint, which is what really matters. Yeah. Well, so then let's move on to this cold start uh, problem because it's prevalent whether you're talking about starting a diet, starting an exercise routine, starting my snowblower the first time in that cold winter. Um, yeah. So I, how do you over, I always find that that first step is always the hardest. 
Yeah. Because there's just all this built up angst and anxiety. It's like, oh, the workout's going to hurt or the diet's going to be a drag. So same thing with business development. If you have this perceived ick factor, how, how can you like motivate yourself to start? Yeah. Well, and it, it, it is, you're right. That is the hard part. That's the thing. It, once you get past the cold start, it, it becomes much more seamless because then you have engagement, right? The person, you have a good conversation. Um, the, the, the next follow-up is a lot easier. And then that becomes easier, easier still. It's like having, I, I always use this analogy. It's like, if I run into someone who was a good friend of mine in high school, but I haven't seen them in 20 years, we've just lost touch. Um, and they asked me the question, like, what's been going on? It's like, well, there's so much going on that I don't even know where to start. And I, so I basically have nothing to talk to you about. Um, whereas and you say, you, you say, you started around, well, not much, yeah. you know, same yeah. old, because like, where do you start? <laughs> right, exactly. So the communication is difficult. Whereas you run into your best friend who you talk to all the time at the bar. And even though you, you've seemingly covered, you know, every top topic possible, the, the communication is seamless. You just pick up right where you left off. And that sort of dynamic plays out in business development as well. I think that's why the consistency aspect um, is important. But circling back to the cold start problem, let's contextualize this with maybe a specific example, because you know we could spend a whole episode on this um, topic probably. But let's talk about um, someone who, uh, we'll make it real specific, someone who worked in an in-house, in-house counsel role uh, at a company that you used to work for um, as a private practice lawyer, and they moved on to a new company, and that company is not a client of the firm, and you're hoping to sort of establish that relationship. Similar industry to the one you serve now. Um, So the objective here is, okay, but you haven't talked to this person in a year or two years, and you want to re-engage. That first outreach, I think, is something, um, because the ability to establish this relationship has such a high expected value over time, a potential return on investment over time, that you want to make an investment in this moment in time, which is how do I how do I come to this person with something so valuable that they can't help but like engage with me and and we we start this this relationship in in terms of communication, open communication and and continued trust building. So that's where you might want to invest, you know, 10 hours in crafting uh, a great initial form of outreach, which in this case might be you know, design a killer CLE uh, program for that client that you can bring uh, to them because you know you, you know their industry, you know the company, you know the types of risks and issues they're facing. And, and you offer to do that for free, come in, deliver the CLE, whatever the case might be. Or it might be something where you've identified a really valuable like marketing opportunity, um, or in this case, it would be like a thought leadership marketing opportunity where um, could be a a panel to speak on. Um, it could be an article to co-author for like the um, the ACC, you know, the in-house counsel, a corporate counsel journal. Um, and you are going to do all the, you know, take all the steps necessary to set that up and do all of the work and the labor. And this person's byline or, you know, their attendance at the event is going to um, be orchestrated by you. Uh, these are these are the t- and and their personal brand and their reputation is going to get uh, is going to benefit as a result. These are like big, high impact, um, high effort type uh, things. But if you've only got maybe you know five to ten of these type of people on your list, and maybe some of them are 
are in a common scenario. So you could you could design and present that CLE to five different people. Like that investment is worth it because you're going to you're going to get over the cold start problem because you're going to be giving them you're going to be reaching out to them with so much value that they're going to you know be grateful for it even if they would for whatever reason don't take you up on whatever you're offering. It's super valuable. They there's, there's no ick factor associated with it, and um, odds are it's going to uh, work in terms of reestablishing and reinvigorating that relationship. Interesting. So I thought you were going to maybe go with something very low impact, low stakes at first, because um, so I want to just have you react to this. So what about things I've tried in the past? One was. Um, a book recommendation. So I have like five books that I could recommend to literally anyone on this planet. You probably know what they are because you probably recommended them to me at some point. <laughs> um, but I've done that. I've said, hey, you know, Joe, we haven't talked in years, but I remember you used to always uh, think about X issue. I just read this book. I was thinking about you the whole time, thought I'd recommend it. So that's very low impact. It's like, all right, no ick factor whatsoever. Just, hey, mm-hmm. check it in. Here's some value. And the other one I thought of is, hey, Joe, uh, we haven't talked in a while, but uh, in the meantime, my buddy Jay and I have started a podcast. We'd love to have you on as a guest uh, to talk through that issue that we used to work with when we used to work together. So where do you stand on things like that? Because now you still are offering value, but you haven't spent the 10 hours you know, that you described, which I think is a brilliant approach. Mm-hmm. Um, because in this case, if the person says, no, you're really not out once. The book recommendation doesn't cost you anything, and the, the yeah. podcast appearance isn't going to, you know, it's going to be a flattering invitation whether they say yes or no. So mm-hmm. thoughts. Totally. Yeah. In in my case, it's it's almost like, all right, if these, that's why I think it, we have to clarify and and emphasize, you know, this whole notion of key contact, like the, 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 the value of the relationship, uh, the potential value of the relationship is so high that mm-hmm. it merits to me an investment of time. Like these are, again, these are your key contacts. There are other people I think where it's like, um, you know, you could cat more casual outreach is, is merited, but it's not, it, this is not, a, this is a situation where um, I think sometimes what people people resist doing this because they they think it's so high stakes and they need to essentially sell the person um, in an initial outreach on mm-hmm. the idea of hiring them, right? That's how they view it. Like this is a, my opportunity to pitch. And if I get this wrong, like this opportunity is gone. But they're, they're thinking about it. They're thinking about the stakes correctly, meaning like you don't, it's not a, maybe a one and done situation, but you want to make a really strong first impression in my opinion. Um, but it's not pitching yourself. It's like, how can I deliver massive value in such a way that it's like almost impossible for them not to engage with me? Um, so that's how I think about it. Whereas the other one, yeah, sure. I mean, they might appreciate the book recommendation. It To me, it'd be better yet to like just send them a book um like without even the initial outreach that kind of thing but if if this is you can't do this with everyone but if you've got 10 people where you're like man if i if i develop client relationships with these five folks that would mean a half a million dollars in new business for me every year like do the cle in my opinion yeah right yeah and you said something that's interesting it's the they have the stakes rated correctly mm-hmm. but the mindset shouldn't be it's make or break i get one shot you know the mm-hmm. count's not three and two and you'll get one pitch yeah. right so maybe if you just consider it as the beginning of something as opposed to the beginning and the end yeah or or it. or better yet uh, maybe just as a point of clarification it, the stakes aren't that you have to go in and sell yourself the stakes is that you have to go in and deliver value to them because when you're selling yourself 
you're not really delivering any value to them, right? Like you're the idea that the idea that with a cold start, you're going to go in and, you know, without an invitation and just like wow someone to the point where they're going to be like, oh my gosh, we have to hire you. Like, what do we, <laughs> what, we've been, look at what we've been missing all this time. No, the, the goal is deliver massive value, like build a little bit of trust, um, establish the relationship um, and then and then build from there. That's the whole point. And but to get over that initial hump, um, you, I think you've got to think in terms of delivering a lot of value up front. To your earlier point, um, J two, it's not. Oh my gosh, this person's so amazing. We have to hire them. Well, what's our need? Ah, we'll figure out the need later. That's not how lawyers are typically hired, right? It's uh, hey, we have a need. And by the way, I've been having this year-long conversation and relationship with Jay, and I think now it's the time to hire him. It's more hundred percent. Yeah, the, the 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 demand came across my desk. Um, the trigger, the triggering event occurred. Now, now I'm going right to my brain to think who's going to help me solve this problem. And it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's the guy that's been, um, you know, in my inbox at my office, uh, you know, taking me to lunch, whatever over the last 14 months. Yeah. Um, so, so in any event, I think that's one thing, just one way to think about it. And, and now th that's also Tom, remember that's that specific scenario. So if it's someone who's a former law school classmate, who's maybe, could be a good referral source that might be let's grab some beers and like watch the game uh if it's an internal colleague it might be hey maybe we can take a ride down the elevator and hit the starbucks for 15 minutes and i just you know i was hoping to talk to you about x y and z it's it's not a you know there's no one size fits all this is very much a one size fits one scenario um but the scenario i described i think is one where the the massive value upfront approach is the way to go yep for sure okay all right. So should we go to category two now that we've way, as usual, we've gone <laughs> way over the amount of time we spent on topic one, but um, I think this one will go a little faster. Uh, so this would be the productivity category. So this is the, you know, the the classic and, and um, unceasing problem of just lacking time, uh, lacking an ability to kind of focus on anything but the billable hour. And I think what, you know, what I'm going to suggest here is um, again a kind of a framework for what what I'll call and those who know you know and have heard us certainly talk about like that whole idea of like selling yourself an hour have read the productivity pivot um, this is talking in, about that hour that you need to set aside for yourself from a productivity standpoint um, with a little bit of a twist to it so um, again let's frame this this is someone maybe who is a senior associate or you know junior partner at a law firm who's maybe just getting into building their practice um and is is finding it very difficult to transition out of that uh doer mode into one that incorporates a little bit of selling into the, into their schedule so um i think if we can say all right so you know someone's working a 10 11 12 hour day um you know Carving out an hour is, is possible. And here's what that hour should look like, in my opinion, which should be um, 30 minutes for marketing and business development, You know, especially assuming you really haven't been doing a lot of that uh, currently, um, 15 minutes for a startup routine, and 15 minutes for, for a shutdown routine. And um, that, that, I think, those that hour of time blocking where you block 15 for a startup routine, 30 for marketing and business development and 15 for a shutdown routine or wind down routine is, is really valuable. Cause again, what we're trying to do here is make effort devoted towards 
important but not urgent work that you know needs to get done, but you can never seem to t- uh, find the time for, uh, more manageable. Make your legal career more sustainable because we've got this, you know, visibility plus consistency plus time formula. And, and the time factor is really important because none of this that we're describing uh is is a quick fix, you know, the type of thing that's going to result in immediate, you know, gratification. Um, as we talked about in our last episode with Jonah Perlin, like it's all about delaying gratification and doing the right things for a long enough period of time that they can start compounding in your favor. Um, and and certainly building a, a legal practice requires that mindset. So to me, um, lawyers and and I know from my coaching calls, uh, most lawyers love the satisfaction of crossing things off of a list. So we're trying to create something here within those time blocks to allow them to to have that satisfaction of crossing off uh, lists. So what I'm what I'm suggesting is within each of those blocks of time, 15, 30, 15, um, creating a a short, no more than three item checklist that you repeat on a daily basis within those time blocks that just keeps you on track, keeps you organized, keeps you thinking in the right terms um, about you know how to keep your day and your mind organized. So during a startup routine, that would be you know obviously how you sort of start your day, how you get into it. Um, what I don't suggest doing is just getting immediately into your email inbox and figuring out and and being consumed by all the fires that are starting to rage in your inbox. Um, you want to stay out of that. You want to do something different, which is um, maybe look, be looking at your calendar, looking at your sort of macro to-do list, thinking about your priorities, perhaps reviewing your goals, and ultimately, you know, developing a to-do list for that day. Um, and maybe uh, using that time to identify a couple things that you're going to be delegating off of your plate. So you're you're doing something useful. You're prioritizing what needs to get done during that day, and you're identifying what things you might be able to get off your plate um, and delegate, so that you're creating more time for yourself to work on you know your two or three top priorities for that day. So a startup routine is meant to it can be whatever you you know whatever works for you, but some some amount of time that you honor every morning with you know some focus and some attention and some time and it allows you to get into your day in a way that isn't just being reactive to fires in your inbox um, from the moment you wake up uh, so that that would be a startup routine um 30 minutes of for marketing and business development your checklist there again might be, um, different depending on what your objectives are, what type of practice you have. But um, a, what a, a checklist might uh, look like that you could work through in a 30-minute period of time would be uh, two specific items, which one would be reaching out to someone on your key contact list in some meaningful way, as we were talking about, right? Just one form of outreach um, a day, you're going to get through your entire list every month. Um, and then it might be, um, you know, just banging out a quick LinkedIn post and publishing it, that allows you to stay in front of and be visible to your broader network, right, of contacts. And you do those two things every day. Those are sort of your non-negotiables. That is definitely going to compound over time, and it's going to get really valuable over time. Now, you're probably going to be doing some other things uh, from a marketing and business development standpoint, but those might be a little more um, episodic and opportunistic, depending on you know what's coming across. But I, what I'm suggesting is you have this simple checklist that you're working through every day to allow that consistency to take hold and that compounding to take place over time. And then a 15-minute shutdown routine. This is where you reach the, I know that 
you know, the I'll put the end of the day in quotation marks for lawyers because the day never seems to end completely. But that's why I sometimes refer to this not as a shutdown routine, but rather a wind down routine. But sort of the the moment in time at which you're gonna maybe um, disengage, you know, maybe leave the office, uh, maybe you know, break for dinner, and sure, you might go back and have to check your email one more time before uh, bedtime or work on a document or something like that. But but you're you're ending the you know sort of that main part of your day with a wind down routine where you have a checklist of things. Maybe you take you have to take one last run through your email to make sure you didn't miss anything. Maybe you want to review your calendar for the next day and the day after that just to make sure you're aware of upcoming deadlines. The idea here is to be in a position where you can go home and ultimately go to sleep at night and feel like you're more squared away. You've got you know those loose ends and those open loops uh, closed and tied off. And that can make a big difference in terms of your ability to disengage, maybe do something um, enjoyable, relaxing, recharge your batteries at the end of the day without that constant sort of, you know, engine running in the back of your head, trying to convince you that maybe you missed something or there's some loose end out there that's going to trip you up in, in the next day. Anyone who's practiced law knows that. Um, I think that happens in every profession, really. But that you know, 2 a.m. wake up where your mind starts racing and you wonder whether or not you actually filed that document or sent that email. Um, that shutdown routine can help you to close those loops. And I think that gives lawyers a peace, peace of mind. So those are kind of the three time blocks and the three uh, the idea of having checklists within those time blocks that allow you to quickly get something useful and valuable done and and get the satisfaction of crossing things off a list. So I'll pause there, Tom. Yeah, I not much to add. So I'll just uh, real quickly, this is where I would typically plug the Michael Hyatt Full Focus Planner. So if you need a tool for this, and I know you have one as well that you use. Um, so there are tools out there to help you kind of create the structure, uh, as well as a book recommendation. Here I go. Um, the man who wrote the book on productivity, The Productivity Pivot by Jay Harrington is a great <laughs> sort of, uh, this will align you uh, principally along these uh, lines. And then um, the third thing is, is just real quick on going back to the um, delayed gratification post that we talked about in the previous episode. And then for people who weren't paying attention, the, the very next day in my Michael Hyatt full focus planner, I get the quote of the day and it's Confucius. And he says, uh, it does not matter how slow you go as long as you do not stop. And I think that goes back to a couple of things you said is however much time you're going to find in the day will be enough as long as you find it, right? And stay, goes back mm -hmm. to the consistency thing. So Jay Harrington and Confucius, great minds, thick alike. <laughs> is that one of those? I, Confucius is one of my top five uh, people who uh, internet quotes are made up about, right? Like yeah. Ben Franklin, Mark Twain. Um, Socrates, Confucius. I think there's one more, but yeah. I, well, maybe there's, there's that one that 50% um, of uh, what you read online is made up, and that was attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's that's number five, Abraham Lincoln. Yep. Um, that's hilarious. All right. So let's go through uh, number three quickly here. So so this, this category, client experience, which is another super important aspect of just um, and over, oftentimes overlooked aspect of developing trust and, and building great relationships with clients. Uh, you know, it's not just the result you deliver, it's how you deliver it and how you make people feel in the process. So one of the pillars of client experience is communication. And one of the things that, you know, I found in my 
um, coaching work is that sometimes, uh, you know, communication is, is, is sort of seen as something that is based on how quickly you react. Uh, so the, the classic example here would be, you know, when, when some lawyers are trained about how to be um, effective communicators, it's all based on, well, when a client emails you or reaches out, like how quickly can we respond? And the more the more quickly you respond, the more effective of a communicator you are. And of course, that's and 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 maybe it's better put, the more responsive you are. Um, but responsiveness is not the only part of communication that I want to uh, drill in on here, which is the fact that um, there's a big difference, and clients perceive a big difference between reactive communication, which is what we, we sort of that responsiveness, how quickly do you respond, but also the importance of proactive communication. So basically, um, are you communicating with clients in a way that can't be and shouldn't be recorded and sent on an invoice? Um, and and if not, then you're not being a particularly effective communicator from a client standpoint. Because I think mo what most clients want is to hear from you off the clock. Um, what? How are you? Uh, how are you creating uh, communications for clients? that are adding value again to them? Are you sharing insights? Are you checking in and trying to understand how you can serve them better? Are you doing business reviews? Are you, you know, sharing thought leadership content? What are the things you're doing from a communication standpoint that can't be recorded as a point one or point two? And if you're not doing those things, you need to start thinking in terms of, of doing so because that's something clients expect. Um, if you read the sort of client satisfaction surveys, that's what in-house counsel communicates they're looking for and they're not seeing enough of. And I think that just thinking in terms of if the only time I'm communicating with my clients is when there's an active matter happening um, and they're emailing me, um, asking me questions, well, then that's a problem. Um, you need to be providing proactive status reports, um, updating them on those matters. But even beyond that, communicating with them when there's no active matters happening and you're you're making them smarter and more informed about um, various issues that they're dealing with in their business um, during those periods of time. So that's just a quick distinction I, I sometimes see people um, forget about or, or just not focus on, which is um, don't just be reactively responsive. Make sure you're proactively adding value in your communication. Yeah, we spend so much time in that reactive mode that we probably subconsciously convince ourselves that we're doing enough communication because it feels like well, I'm constantly mm -hmm. emailing this client or whatever. But just the pedantic um, nitpicker in me, a word stuck out when you said this is what clients expect. It, I know what you meant, but I was like, I don't know that clients, I think if you behave in this manner, as you described, that will be unexpected. It'll come across as, well, this is unusual. That's not how my other attorneys you know, so I think you'll stick out by doing something very simple, which is something you should be doing, but it has to be intentional and going back to systems. I think you need to create a system for yourself so that you'll do that and get out of this mindset. Well, I'm, I'm spending plenty of time doing emails and making phone calls. I don't need to add more to it. So good thoughts. Yeah. And another good post that you had, it was a Twitter thread, I think that you had this week on that. That was mm -hmm. very good. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, so Business development, you know, how to overcome the cold start problem uh, with, with your key contact list and getting that momentum going. Um, second was uh, productivity and how to think in terms of, you know, those three key time blocks, one hour per day, uh, developing a repeatable sort of checklist process, um, allowing that to really 
uh, allow you to be more productive and effective. And then, yeah, you know, focusing on client experience, not trying to do everything all at once, but really honing in on communication and how to be more proactive with your client communication. I think if you do those three things, um, take them one at a time, maybe to tackle them and, and focus on them a little bit, it's going to be really valuable. And I think you'll get a lot of benefit out of it. Just a quick reminder, there's a book out there called Customer Service is the New Marketing. So engaging in those acts of client service, that proactive communication is a form of developing business. It might not be apparent and obvious, but you are endearing yourself to a client for more repeat matters or referrals or whatever. So uh, do as Jay says. He knows of where he speaks. Yeah. All right. I think that's the episode, Tom. All right. We'll see you next time. Okay. See you next time, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.